0: I wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass And travel with portable speakers playing bars, cats. wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million albums I wish I had a million problems That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man yeah. I wish I was a comedian Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in it These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. That every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. I wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming speed, wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings, huh. I wish that I had seven limbs, yeah. that way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kinda understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. <laughs> yeah. I wish I was an astronaut, I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself, you can't help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish, Hello, and, every and, time we love and welcome to another episode of E Green. I am your
1: host, wish, Brianna Joy Gray, we and we are coming in early today. I've got some uh, family friends in for the holiday, and therefore I have dinner plans tonight. So I wanted to make sure I got this episode in because I haven't uh, spoken to you guys in a while. I think I'm having a little bit of a mic trouble again. Are you guys able to hear me okay? I think that's maybe okay. All right, so let's just get uh, right into it. Again, apologies for this um, unusual time. Yeah, Someone says it's a little quiet. I can kind of hear it going in and out myself. I'm What's going on there? I think there's something a little bit off. This road, this road device, hasn't really been at its best recently. But we're gonna, we'll figure it out. We'll get through it. All right, let's start taking callers. Uh, Charlie, what's on your mind tonight? This, this afternoon.
2: Hey, can you hear me? Again? Hear me?
1: Yeah, I can hear you perfectly.
2: Fantastic. Cool. Uh, I've been trying to call in for a long time, so I'm super excited. Uh, first of all. I am a massive Star Trek fan. I just have to say that. Uh, I specifically mean TNG and DS9. Uh, you see Captain. That
1: Worf is trending right now. On,
2: on <sighs> what did they do to his forehead in the new Picard? Wait, I did saw,
1: they saw the they do his forehead. Is that why it's trending? They...
2: Well, I don't know if that's why it's trending, but it, I saw the trailer. It looks all weird. Like it. I don't know if like when Klingons age, they get like different forehead ridges, but <laughs> they totally messed it up, and I don't know. <laughs> I can't talk about Star Trek like ever since DS or Voyager. Voyager's the last like good one. That's it. There's nothing. Everything since that's crap. You must be my age. Yep, thirty nine. Pretty yeah. close.
1: Yeah, I mean, yep. like that's our. That's because that's when we like. Well, for one, that's when there was a huge break, you know, between any new shows. And then by the time yep. they started making new content again, one, I think we were all a little bit like, I don't know if I can trust this new stuff. And two, we were just not in the same places in our lives as we we were kids falling in love with stuff and becoming deeply nostalgic so well, true I, so I true. haven't watched Picard I like I think I watched like half of the first season of Picard and I pooped out after about one season of Discovery I did watch all of Enterprise Enterprise is what killed it for me I made myself watch every single episode and I can't say that that was a good decision but oh, I man. will definitely end up watching all of them because my pride as a trekking will allowed me <laughs> to know less than other oh. people in the world of Star Trek
2: I, I hear that we couldn't get through Enterprise ourselves, but uh, you know what DS9 has been has always been there for us so with CNG. But uh, all right, cool. So so niceties aside, i uh, got got a few sort of bones to pick here. Uh, okay. uh, so with this episode, and I apologize, I'm trying to like I can't get this on speaker and read my notes, which I totally sent myself. And well, look, I'll, I'll go kind of off the cuff, I guess. Um, so a few of the things, first of all, I do not think you should debate Ben Shapiro. I, I think um, especially the tenor of the conversation, to the point, to the degree that the purpose would be to, like, embarrass Ben Shapiro, like, embarrass or be embarrassed, it's like, that's that's everyone will come away from that conversation dumber than when they started. Like, it, it's it's not, it's just not gonna go well for anyone. I think, like, debates are really their best when the two parties are actually trying to sort of like establish what is factual and where the actual disagreements are. Um, I think actually your guest, and I, I apologize, I'm totally blanking on his name right now. Um, Nathan right? Yeah, so Nathan, I think he actually kind of got to this towards the end, where he talked about, you know, oftentimes in debates, you end up in a place where it's just a debate around values, right? And I think that's, I think, getting to that core of a debate is so important and underrated. We don't do it, and we end up going, well, I have my set of facts and you have your set of facts, and then it's all about who can own who through rhetoric. Um, th- do you those think it's debates-
1: possible? Do you think it's possible to get to that kind of value tee-off? First of all, do you think it's possible? Two, if it's possible, do you think it's worthwhile to, to get to that, to distill it to that point? Because three, is it the case that if you are able to expose what the value differences are, there, it's possible that some people who might think they agree with ben shapiro at the end of the day when you just lay it out as a value difference realize well maybe my value is that i want there to be a social safety net so that children have uh health care that everybody has health care as a as a human right if yeah I roll it down well, i mean what do you make of that argument
2: i think i, I think that's fair and again uh, so much of it depends on what you're going into it to get out of it right and and i should have I, I meant to lay my cards on the table like i am not a leftist. Uh, I was once a capital L liberal, like go Hillary, you know, all that stuff. Um, and I actually tried to sort of like look into the other side's views after Trump. I said, Hey, I mean, all these people can't actually be demons who like voted for this guy. And like, yeah. what are they saying? I went down a Ben Shapiro rabbit hole for like a year. Cause it seemed like he was saying some things that made some sense that were blind spots to the left in terms of immigration and certain other policy things. But here's the thing, like after a year, you're like, okay, like owning the libs is not that interesting. Like I I get it. I get it. And I guess what I'm saying is like the other side of that is no more interesting to me, but that, but I'm kind of heterodox. I really don't fit into like any of the boxes whatsoever. I, you can call me leftist curious. I agree with like a lot of your policy, you know, a lot of policy things.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. Would it matter if the debate was on a narrow subject? So I, yeah, I don't have a particular interest in Debating Ben Shapiro on whether or not uh, Cardi B is uh, vulgar, <laughs> or whether uh, time show, who's, who's pussy is <laughs> of what moisture level, et cetera. But you know, if there were a narrowly defined subject that we've both spoken to, there's a clear kind of um, circumscribed area of disagreement. It's yeah. cited on it, and we can like do research on this narrow area and kind of come to a consensus about a certain factual background. I mean, do you think that that would
2: be valuable? I think it's I think it's valuable for sure if it's narrow. And also if you actually have like a reliable, I don't know if neutral is the right word, a good faith moderator. I don't think it's going to work to just you go one-on-one with Ben. And also maybe it's not Ben, right? I mean, maybe find someone that is a little bit more intellectually curious. And I don't know, like someone who isn't just out to own you, right? I'm not sure that Ben would be the most productive person to have that with. I don't have an immediate suggestion, but you know, it just might not be Ben. I mean, the argument
1: for Ben Shapiro (laughs) is that he has one of the largest uh, audiences on the right. So if you even persuade 1% of people who are listening to Ben Shapiro, that might be more persuasion than I do in six months of talking to people on bad faith or certainly even on Rising.
2: Yeah, that's okay, yeah, totally fair. So my backup on that, let me, let me let me remove the moderator thing. Have you seen he has like a Sunday special? I don't know if he still does it, but he at least used to have these like Sunday specials where he just sort of sits down, sixty-minute style, like one-on-one, and it's like very friendly. It's not like he brings people on there that he agrees with and disagrees with, and it's. It's very conversational, it is not generally particularly combative and he tends to be like I just think that format actually then, if you're gonna do it, is probably better than a let's have a Ben Shapiro debate. Does that make sense? I I don't like debate. I mean I
1: think I think it's just so stupid because for one, I'm not in fucking high school and I don't know why it would be having (laughs) a debate. Like this isn't somebody's like rhetoric class or something, like I'm not a nerd in a blazer at Chilton or
2: 100%. 100%. So, uh, I, I, I don't know what the format was, for example, of his recent sit-down with Anna Kasperian, and I didn't watch all of it. I think I just, that was a Sunday conversation, I think. Yeah. I didn't see it, but yeah.
1: It conversational and of a nice tone. I will yeah. also say, though, that my conversation with Charlie Kirk was not supposed to be a debate, but I felt felt very blindsided because I sat down and he immediately was like, give me your position on uh, why <laughs> uh, white supremacy is everywhere. And I was like, oh, What? That's your bag. Like you give right. your you me your position, you probably apparently this is the chip you so, have on your shoulder. I'd rather talk about all these other kinds of things. Um, so that didn't go as well as I would have liked, partly because there wasn't an agreement as to what it was going to be beforehand. But I can certainly imagine. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I I I take your I take your point, but I think the question is: Can not do you think that most of these debates are bad, or do you have? edits that you would make to how debates go down, but, you know, do you think they are categorically a bad idea or really is it just that here are the circumstances under which
2: I think... Yeah, rather it's, I think it's it's the, the, the latter. It's for um, sure the latter. It's the latter. Format matters. Narrowness of topic matters. Uh, I don't know if you ever listened to, them, but, like, the Intelligence Squared debates, I think, are, like, as close to a great example of, like, how debates can be run. Um, but those, know. those are, uh, it's like Commonwealth club, I think. Uh, anyway, they do, they do these debates. They're, they're incredibly formal. They're probably more formal than like what you want this to be. But my point is like, they're not all bad. It's not that debating is all bad, but most debating ends up bad. <laughs> You've got to actually yeah, set it up, uh, ahead of time to be successful. Right. Yeah. I hear that. I'm yeah. You, you so, started off very nicely. Yeah. Consider, you know, some of
1: the, some of the factors at issue here. Thanks for calling
2: in. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks much. All right. You too.
1: Ruben Hart, what's on your mind this afternoon? Oh, where'd he go? Hey, Ruben. Hello. What's on your mind?
3: Hey. Hey, Brianna, ça va?
1: Ça va bien, merci. How are oh,
3: you? Yeah. Um, très bien, très bien. So um, I would, um, so I liked the interview d- you did with Stephanie. I, I, She's like, like for me she's awesome and she really much puts like economics in a basic one-on-one type of mind frame and um it's much better than your wolf um interview because i i think i um i hadn't like i agree with i think his name is jonathan in the chat where he said like his 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 point of view is very like depressive which i also thought it was oppressive but that's uh, that's one thing but yeah kudos on that one interview with stephanie she's awesome But I do want to bring up something interesting that you brought up. um, You and Robbie um, spoke about with Nikki Haley. Um, And it's something that, you know, I mentioned I am conservative. um, And when I I like I do call out racism and I'm and I'm a person that, you know, that pretty much thinks that racism is hard to erase, like it's going to stay and it's going to stay. And it's sad, but that's the reality because racism is about power. Um, And this goes with sexism as well. And when you guys covered the Don Lemon segment, mm-hmm. I've, um, I've 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 i witnessed that like my conservative gal friends, and I'm not sure. Well, it well from a personal experience, like I would see conservative women kind of well not kind of, but like they do get sexist remarks thrown at them, but their liberal female counterparts like don't stick up for them Aww. um this was apparent with nikki haley and also with lauren Boebert um when she um won her re-election by small margins i think this one guy who's a never trumper from from hawaii Aww. um was in the joy 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 reed show and said hey looks like only fans and i was like bro hey, that's i um, Claire McCaskill and Joy Reid were laughing it off. And then they they, yeah. they didn't defend or stand up to Lauren Boebert. Um, yeah. I mean, I mean, stand up to protect her. And it's something that my conservative girlfriends, they, 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 point out see, this is why feminism doesn't work for us because for them, if feminism does work, it should cover all women. And not just all women, but men too, because I've seen this in, um, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trials where these same, quote, feminist liberals, um, specifically in L.A., say that they have not seen the trial. But for some reason, they have two cents to pick on it. And they they literally put Amber Heard as the imperfect victim. But in reality, I've seen the trial and even my conservative girlfriends, they've seen the trial to the point where, they're like, no, Johnny Depp is the actual victim because she literally Threw a, a like a bottle of wine and severed his finger, and um, she was literally like on, like on like, berating him, and that uh, she wanted to ask him even though he was tired. So I'm like, that kind of is also sexual harassment. Like if a girl tells a guy, "Oh, like I want sex," and if you're not putting it up, then you're a pussy or something like that. So, um, but anyways, going on. I'm going with Nikki Haley and stuff. I just really much um, my little rant, or, well, I don't want to say, well, it, it, it's a rant, but I feel like um, feminism today just only works for narrow minded establishment liberal women. Um, and, it, and, and it hurts like conservative women because if we have seen this in media, then how could we work around it where feminism works for everyone and not just liberal women, but you know, ev- like everyone. Cause I, I do believe that. Happening. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think what's happening is, you know, bad, narrow-minded, hypocritical people, hypocritical people are bad, narrow-minded, hypocritical people. And it has mm-hmm. it's not feminism's fault that Joanne Reed is bad and a hypocrite. It's not feminism's mm-hmm. fault that even people like Gloria Steinem who are
3: exactly you
1: know, foundational to feminism, you know said things like women who support bernie are only doing it for the boys right just because, exactly course, and you and, wait, and, wait, and you wait, said wait, that wait, wait, I was wait, like, wait, like wait, yes wait, 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 wait. but just because oh, Gloria mind. steinem says uh who is someone who's a feminist icon degraded me and all the other women who supported bernie by saying that i don't i'm not not a feminist do you know what i mean i don't think it's mm-hmm. feminist but my reaction to that isn't to say women shouldn't be equal or I don't believe in the, the fundamental principle that uh, of equality between the genders uh-huh. to say Gloria Steinem sucks moving on <laughs> Do you know what I mean like okay. a, and I think that we yeah. all know that we disagree with someone like Joanne Reed politically for a, uh-huh. a million reasons she had that blog saying a bunch of homophobic stuff that she never was accountable for or never apologized for she lied and said that you know she was hacked and way back machine changed her blog, you know, uh-huh. all of this kind of stuff. So to the extent that any of them are, don't stand up for, in the face of sexist comments, even if they're being directed at people who I also don't disagree, don't agree with, like Lauren Boebert, if that's consistent with them being kind of like hackish and inconsistent. And uh-huh. I, I feel for Republican women, who frankly, like it is an opportunity for Democrats to show that they are above, you know, above the fray and they really, really foundational principles and it's regrettable that over and over again they decline to do so and also they do this with respect to race right like you know yeah they, there was a bunch of comments that were made on the view about Nikki Haley and about whether or not she's really a woman of color and casting aspersions about her having run from her Indian heritage in ways that I don't think are really authentic points there you know and so like, I agree with you that the behavior is despicable I don't know that I would draw the same conclusions about feminism although I certainly agree why conservative women wouldn't necessarily be flocking to defend feminism given how the people who paint themselves as the you know kind of the keepers of knowledge with respect to feminism aren't aren't really being consistent in the way that they
3: are applying mm-hmm. these lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah for sure um i do want to um i did want to say about the whole Gloria sign thing which you brought up mm-hmm. and i agree with that um but um yeah that's my little little spiel but yeah like i said kudos to that interview d- you did with stephanie uh, i liked it and yeah just basically i that's pretty much it for me well <laughs> oh, i'm
1: so glad you liked it thank you for calling in ruben
3: okay have a good day
1: you too keep the faith uh chris brown what is on your mind this afternoon gosh i can't get even of my head
4: hey um What's on my mind this afternoon? Uh, well, actually, I just wanted to talk shit about Don Lemon. Uh, <laughs> I ain't never seen a man who was just so willing to just die on the most stupidest fucking hill <laughs> that I've ever. Like, it, it, <laughs> that segment in that two minutes, it's just like, what are you actually trying to say? Because it was like, okay, you're trying to defend the idea that... Um, Nikki Haley says there need to be more young, younger people or, you know, maybe like an age test and something like that. Then Don Lemon goes, OK, you're talking shit about uh, Joe Biden, but bitch, you can't get pregnant. <laughs> 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 like, what kind of fucking and then it was just like, he knew he, he, when he like, he knew he stepped, he's like, oh shit, he put his foot in his mouth. But he was just adamant about it, just adamant about defending it. Just yeah. Google it. It's just facts. It's just facts about when <laughs> women are in their prime. Google it. Google it. And I think I saw, uh, I think I saw, I saw a tweet or it might have been, they was talking about, like, you know, obviously people in their prime. like, no, um, excuse me. I was listening to the Breakfast Club, and then uh, they was they was uh, uh reviewing the Don Limit thing, and then this lady called in, and she was basically like, "Why is it that um." Why is it that like women all of a sudden like has like this expiration date? But, but it seems like when we get older, things get better for us. Sex gets better. We want it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, uh, we live longer and everything. But meanwhile, when it comes to guys, you fucking start losing your hair at 25. <laughs> Can't keep your dick hard. Got to use pills and shit. But somehow we're the ones with the expiration date. <laughs> it was like the funniest shit.
1: <laughs> so, but, that. I, I know yeah. the breakfast Club had a good time with that clip.
4: Oh, I got yeah, to yeah. To that. yeah, yeah, the Breakfast Club, yeah, they had a good one with that one, that was, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm just, it's on that YouTube now, I think it's like 15 minutes long, but it still was just kind of funny, because it was just like, why would, it, why would you just, just die on that hill, and I guess maybe it was, he was, he was just going too hard on Team Blue, but I think if he would have never said Prime, or well, if he just would have just said, or, oh, yeah, uh, you're not, well, if he wouldn't like double down on like the idea of prime if he just would have said oh hey nikki you said this though, but you know you're not really in your prime and then left it at that i don't think it would have been as or, bad but the okay. fact that he put a date on you go ahead sorry. if
1: i if i'm the most like sympathetic like if i do the best faith reading of what don lemon was getting at <laughs> i could he could have said something like it is ridiculous to look at cr- chronological age as mm-hmm. a strict assessment for whether or not someone should be president, because yeah. some people who are older have good cognitive abilities, some people who are older don't, and some people who are younger are never that smart or able exactly. to begin with. Just like some people say a woman is past her prime when she's you know over the age of 40 or whatever, but that's obviously ridiculous. Mm. And just like we shouldn't limit women as past her prime you know, in a way that <laughs> would also constrain Nikki Haley, we shouldn't limit Joe Biden as past his prime just because he's an octogenarian.
5: <laughs> but
1: he didn't say that.
4: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, it was just so many ways he could have done it. He just wanted to die. You know what it is? I just think he's like tired because I actually think he he's about to exit. I think I don't know when his contract is going to be up, but I don't think it's getting renewed. I think he I think he feels some kind of way that I think he looks at what he's at now as a demotion. He had his nighttime yeah. show, and now he's on the morning with this girl off the beat who he can't seem to get along with, and just despises the idea that she interviewed somebody without like his consent yes. or without, so it was just like, you can kind of see like it's starting to just feel like he's mad that he can't drink on New Year's Eve like that anymore and get, <laughs> get shit faced. I think he's just, so I think, I think when the, when the main guy got uh canned and everything, I think Don is one of the dudes who was like really affected by it. And he's like, damn, this isn't like fun anymore. And I think, I think it's, I think it's kind of over for him as far as this them Yeah. I don't
1: know if you saw, we covered it again this morning. Um, Cause the new news was that he wasn't in today. And mm-hmm. there's rumors swirling that he's basically being pushed off of this new show now. Uh, and yeah, then right. CNN came back and said something like, no, that's not, that's unconfirmed rumors. But the official statement kind of actually seemed, sounds like it confirmed the rumors. And so far as mm-hmm. it said, he's just taking some time to see where his head is at or something. Which Yeah,
4: that, that sounds all over the place. Right. Like, I don't know Aww. if
1: he'll come back. It's not that this is obviously the worst thing that ever happened. I mean, he didn't masturbate on camera he's not jeffrey Tubin. he's not you know there's exactly. not some cove of uh, trove of tweets where he said the n-word and made all those anti-asian remarks that uh that Elizabeth uh-huh. warren staffer made or you know this isn't the mm-hmm. worst thing that's ever happened to a person in this position it's yeah. just so cringe it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. not as bad as other things but it's, it's somehow more difficult to explain
6: mm-hmm <laughs> it makes
1: no sense like why would you say this is like a, it's an unforced error is what
4: it is yeah 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 it really is like like what you said it's like an unforced error and i mean honestly i think that one clip uh you guys showed him i guess when he was in his prime bourgeoisie black uh, uh black guy thing where he was mm-hmm. telling you know he was really leaning into respectability politics as far as black people i think that was a lot worse but you know mm-hmm. you can shit on black people and not you know you know don't really have to sit get too much of the consequences of that so
1: yeah, yeah. As he he <laughs> wrote this clip. That we, so we played this clip of Don Lemon doing black respectability politics during the Obama era, telling people that, he, that he, black people needed to pull up their pants and then maybe they'd get some respect. And also, they need to mm-hmm. stop littering because he said, "I've lived in many white neighborhoods. Many, I've lived in so many, many white neighborhoods. I've lived in all the white I've neighborhoods. Been
4: to all the cauc- I've been to the Caucus Mountains." <laughs> And you do not understand what it's like the second I had to touch down an African and see these slides, Oh my gosh. Jesus. He
1: said, I live in Harlem now and I am flabbergasted.
4: I can't take this. There's a man who plays the national anthem with the trumpet on the goddamn between the goddamn on the black Israelites yelling at people with their microphones. Enough
1: is enough will somebody do, it. do something about the smell of incense? <laughs> I do not need to purchase this cocoa butter cream on the way to work. It is assaulting oh. my senses.
4: <laughs> if I see another girl with a bonnet, I am going to lose my shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what really took me out about that clip was that all of the all of the b-roll footage of men sagging their pants well, oh, white men. like 50% plus white men. <laughs>
4: My boy, my guy, Don 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 Don, he's uh the gift that keeps on giving, man. <laughs> that's um, <a> good time. <laughs> yeah, but that, that's all I had today. Um, yeah, uh, shout out to you. Oh, um, I wanted to say, shout out to you for putting me on to what's his name, FG Signifier. Yeah. Um, I've been on like a, I've been on a, like a, like a, like literally like a binge of all his content. Like I started with the left, ha- um, yeah, the left has a, a drama problem, which uh-huh. was like really interesting. And then I just finished up conservatives are bad at sex. And I think I'm about to go to the manosphere and I'm like, yeah, I'm oh, like, wonderful. thanks for putting me on to him. Yeah. Cause, uh, he's a really, I think he's a really good like communicator and yeah. like, um, a person, I think, uh, as far as like. Uh, guy who wants to talk about men and like some of the issues with men and stuff i think he does it as a at a really good level where it's not overtly sexist or overtly like you know these bitches ain't shit and everything like that so like i appreciate uh you having that guy on and stuff yeah, yeah well, you I'm put so me bad. on something there
1: yeah, he's he's really just mature and thoughtful and sensible and he really does well researched video essays and i i think he's a really just a wonderful contributor to the space though. I'm glad you're enjoying him, and I encourage everybody else to check out those videos, too. Thanks for calling Thank in and give me a good chuckle, Chris.
4: <laughs> no problem.
1: All right. Keep the faith. All right, Amanda, what's on your mind this afternoon?
7: Hello, Brianna. How are you doing oh, today? Hello. It's nice to hear your voice. Missed you.
1: Oh, well, have a, oh, I guess I did skip Thursday. I apologize. I'm
7: obsessed. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I missed you guys, too. I I also know that people probably really wanted to talk about Stephanie Kelton, and I felt bad about it. I, I, I was I was tired. I don't even have an excuse. That I is just, a... Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute.
7: Tired. I'm just going to say, being tired is not an excuse. It's a reason, and it's legit.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I, I appreciate all of your guys' grace and patience with me. What's a new Well, I'm
7: done with you? the grace and patience, okay? I've given it all up. <laughs> <laughs> all right, give it to me. So so I, I really appreciated the episode that dropped today. And, and there were a few things that were helpful for me. And this is something that I think I mentioned in a, a call in with you before, that it's nice to see. I, I don't get a chance to see the, what do you say after you say, well, Hillary Clinton's a war criminal. And the person who's a Democrat looks straight in your face and says, but she's a woman. And she. we want the first woman president. But I didn't have an answer for that that was didn't seem like sexist or bad. And so I appreciated this conversation. In fact, I would love to Here you guys have conversations on a lot of things. And in fact, wouldn't it be great if there was a way to build a narrative for people that are on the progressive left, on the anarchic left, on whatever kind of, however you want to define it, the people that don't currently have a strong narrative that, that flows beyond the first argument, And I mean, this is your, this is your area, right? We need a better narrative for explaining what's going on. And I think there's ways to do it that are, I mean, I just watched a really good clip from Tim Minchin. And if you don't know Tim Minchin, I'm sorry. But he's a, he's um, a very interesting Australian thinker and performer, comedian, and he wrote, the musical matilda but but his point was if we're if we're going to you you can't get to the new world of empathy and kindness and goodness by beating people up when they don't agree with you by one millimeter and and i i appreciate that we need to build better narratives so people who did feel excluded can be brought back in people who feel hurt. Cause I mean, there's a lot of shit because of the misinformation of media. Thank you. Mainstream media, you know, that we needs to be yeah. healed.
1: I, you know, I agree. And that's why, you know, I am, although I have my days and my moments and my segments, I, I really am appreciative to have the platform on rising. Cause I, I, I have so much more clarity every day. You know, getting to go over and over these things, having Robbie as such a gracious sparring partner, and honestly, need high quality care. Having Medicare
6: Advantage. Is that
7: on my end? What on earth was that? Oh my God! I, I don't know. It wasn't what? me. What the
1: autoplay was that?
7: <laughs> it wasn't me.
1: Oh my God! Okay, I'm sorry. I don't even know what that was. Um, but it's just it. It, it feels important, and I and I hope one day to be able to write a book of my own or somehow concretize some of these things that we learn. But I am also very grateful that, um, you know, that Nathan wrote this. I mean, I picked I picked with the one subject, the government is a problem, not the solution, because that was the first of, the, of 25 arguments that he lays out how to address in, in the book because it's something that had just come up on the show with Robbie. But, like, the, I'm looking at the table of contents right now. It is, like, Minimum wages and rate control are economically disastrous. That's something we hear all the time, right? Taxation is theft and or slavery. How often do we have that argument? Capitalism rewards innovation and gives people what they deserve. How often do we hear that? The United States is a force for good in the world. There's no such thing as white privilege.
0: The left are woke totalitarians trying to
1: destroy speech in the name of social justice. Socialized medicine will kill your grandma. I mean, the the 25 arguments that he's picked are really the ones. Um, and I found myself, as much as I do this and I feel like I am kind of thoughtful about my approach,
0: you know, there were things that
1: I learned from reading, you know, what I've been able to read so far of this book that really were helpful to me, principally among them that left us need to read more about what the right is writing and listen to them and not walk around so hubristically thinking that we understand the arguments they're making and where they're coming from. Just because we disagree with it doesn't mean that we understand what they're actually arguing.
7: Definitely. And I also want to call out the discussion you had briefly about when you interview people cuz and you've read their whole book, the mm-hmm. critique that he gave back about that that it's two people that have read the same book and not like is not as much in discovery and I appreciate hearing that you are working on you know, you're constantly thinking of how can I be a better at what I'm doing and I I really appreciate that and I commend you doing it out loud for us to hear so that we know that it's okay if we find a way a different way of doing things that it's not the end of the universe, you know?
1: Oh well I I I appreciate you uh, appreciating it and I, I really do feel like we're especially at this with this call in show, working through this stuff together. It feels like a Socratic community exercise, where we're all helping each other to figure this stuff up, so I'm very grateful for all of you um, and for this space, so thank you for calling in, Amanda.
7: Yeah, sure. I loved seeing that light bulb go on. It's why I became a teacher, so I like seeing it anybody that I like. Have you, a great... What do yeah? you teach, Amanda? I don't teach anymore. I used to teach high school English. Oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah. That. Okay. As a, as a child of teachers, that's just like Hey, do you mind if I plug? I'm going to do a show tomorrow. I went to the San Francisco Rage Against the War Machine yeah, rally. Do you mind um, here on call? It'll be here on call in at two p.m. Pacific time tomorrow, so that's like five p.m. Eastern. So if you want to hear about the San Francisco rally from my perspective,
1: oh, fantastic! Thanks, Amanda. Also, I think we're having on um, rising tomorrow to talk about oh, good, yeah, for sure.
7: Great. Right. Um, thank you.
1: Thank you, Amanda. Keep the faith. Jonathan, how are you doing this afternoon?
8: Uh, it's doing something weird. Can you hear me? I can hear you. it's saying enable microphone, and I've got this. Oh, here we go. That's better. A stupid glitchy app. Well, is going on called in so. to... Yeah, you know I called in to talk about the... Uh, Am I hearing an echo?
1: Is it? Are you? Is it my fault? I don't know what's going on with my mic. guys. I can just take out my mic and talk straight up into my phone. I think there's just like a glitch. Like my cord is like depending on how I'm holding it. Like I can make like, it like, can, a little bit. But I'm not sure how to stop it. I
8: yeah, I mean, I you know I called in to to talk about the Stephanie Kelton episode, but can we take a moment to? sort of bask in the glow of, uh, this one feature, which, you know, of today's episode, which was, you know, appreciated for many reasons, but, uh, there was an element there that I, I noticed that just had me tickled pink, you know, cause, uh, Nathan was talking about, oh, my friends, Ben Burgess and Anna Kasparian, which, okay, you know, no accounting for taste, but, uh, he did take a few moments to completely deconstruct and, uh, Toss aside their stupid, doomerist, anti force the vote arguments, which I was just delighted by. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that just made me super happy.
1: I think it's a good thing, you know, if Nathan has a good relationship with those people and is also able to articulate why their forceful arguments are wrong, I hope that is an opportunity in the future for him to, you know, be in rooms with them and talk on or off air in a way that's constructive, in a way that i haven't been able to do so i also saw that as a silver lining of sorts you know ultimately it's a good thing if you know nathan has a friendly relationship with people with whom i'm a little bit strained and is able to get some points across like win-win
8: yeah the uh the stephanie kelton episode like i appreciated also for many reasons one of which was she was really one of the few people that could, um, you know, respond to, you know, Rick Wolf without, you know, kind of insulting or offending or putting him down. I mean, how could she? He's coming to speak to her class next week. And I thought it was very classy the way she attacked the problem, not the person, and uh, framed all of these things. And she is good at, at framing these things in kind of a, Uh, you know, a basic, a basic level thing, but framing like these economic issues and MMT is a tricky and very experimental kind of area. And, you know, uh, one of Stephanie Kelton's thesis advisors, somebody I've been trying to engage in conversation about that, because he's definitely interested in, in kind of, you know, pushing the boundaries on that. Randy Ray is one of the kind of OGs of, of MMT. And he was uh, one of her thesis advisors back when she was Stephanie Bell. And she was actually trying to disprove MMT and wound up proving it instead. But, um, you know, yeah, that that was it. She, she was like, oh, this is nonsense. I'm going to disprove that. And then she figured out it was 100% correct. Huh. And so, yeah, but, I mean, he's, like, he definitely is, is into, you know, and there, there's definitely some trial and error involved. Like, I don't necessarily always uh, entirely agree with, you know, sometimes I think the way they frame certain things, you know, even some of the uh, OGs, not just Stephanie, it's like a consensus thing, uh, is not always the best way of conveying these things. They sometimes, you know, accidentally play into the framing of the other side. You know, for instance, where, you know, in those instances where they talk about, like, the money supply is one big pot from every from which everyone takes or like the money itself is something is driving up prices or causing inflation, which, you know, kind of gets into a guns don't kill people, people kill people sort of thing. But at the end of the day, that is actually true of money, like what people do with it matters. So like these kinds of things are, are very experimental and they're not necessarily all that easy for ordinary people to wrap their minds around. So it's it can be kind of a tricky business. And I kind of appreciated you guys parsing the framing aspect of it as well, which, you know, frankly, you're uh, at, at a certain point, you know, it, because you're making a lot quicker progress than I did when I started learning this stuff, frankly. Um, you're, you're like, you're just... But, I mean, you're, you're honestly, like, you're at this point, like, just as, you know, you're you're really not that far from the frontier of coming up with better ways of framing some of these concepts in the context of political discussions that aren't necessarily purely about economics, if that makes sense. And that's kind of where it gets tricky.
1: Well, what do you think about this idea of the either or both of the Bernie campaigns being these opportunities to explain mmt or to punch some kind of hole in the public understanding of the budget as not a household budget and the choice not to do so because on some level like I, i kind of get it when you're on the campaign and things are moving so quickly and you're just being really responsive to all of the mud that's being flung in your way in your direction and you're trying to not expose yourself to more criticism get laughed off the, off the stage as unserious and a socialist and all of this stuff. You know, is this the time to start trying to do this public education? Like, I understand that argument and I, I can see the political argument. At the same time, it's like when they're not running for office, these people are still not talking about MMT.
8: Right, and that's like, you have no idea how frustrating everybody in that space finds it, and including Stephanie Kelton. She... I, you know, one of the things that should be pointed out, like she definitely loves her her access. She is definitely more on the capitalist to her bones side of the uh, you know MMT consensus, and she does tend to hedge when talking about those things. But you know, she has admitted privately to uh, various people how frustrated she was by all of that, and basically the one success story that she had, she mentioned to you, John Yarmuth. Uh, we've had him on Macro and Cheese before, but unfortunately, he's retired. Right. Like you know, this uh, like he basically that was his last term, so I guess he figured he could just say what he needed to say. But there's so many of these people, including you know, uh, what's his name, Rokana. Uh, Ro you know, has read this stuff yeah. and talks to Stephanie Kelton and has acknowledged when we talk to him, yeah, I agree with that stuff. But you know, I can't go around and say that in public. And like, why, like, what are you even thinking? Like what, it's just, we like John Yarmuth kind of demonstrated that you absolutely can and people will respect you for it and appreciate it. And these people just won't do it.
1: I mean, do you think you would have done that if you weren't retiring?
8: Probably not. And that's the problem because they think there's a risk there when actually it's a very high reward uh, lane that they could be taking uh, and they could be leaders in this space, but they're, you know, it's like so many other things in the Democratic blob space. Like they have all of these kind of bizarre, almost old wives tales, like these superstitions about things you should and shouldn't say or can and can't say, positions you can and can't take uh, that, that just, you know, when any normal person is looking at it, just don't make any sense. And they leave so many opportunities just laying on the table like that and you know there are so many people that have tried to introduce more subtle ways they could say things and they just keep twisting themselves into pretzels not to do it and a lot of you know even like academic economists who uh you know professors definitely play a game of politics of their own they don't like to make a lot of controversial public statements but you know especially about elected officials but a lot of them were, you know, were expressing a great deal of frustration, like, more so than, you know, I ever see, like, whenever they're asked about those kinds of comments. And, you know, even people that know are afraid right. that somehow there will be some kind of weird blowback on them if they tell people the truth about how these things work. And I don't, I can't make heads or tails of it sometimes. Some of it, I think, in Bernie's case has to do with age mm-hmm. and, and habit. Uh, habits of mind, but there's others that just i don't know why
1: yeah i wish i had a good answer i mean when when she was specifically talking about having like met with some of the squad members and the progressive caucus members and the fact that they still are reluctant to say the thing i mean that's really disconcerting and i've noticed even even for me ever since the stephanie kelton episode you know it comes up like almost every day on rising oh you know we're spending so much on the military. We're spending so much on Ukraine. Why can't we spend it now? And now, I spend it domestically rather. And now, it's like there's a part in my brain is like, oh. am I also now tacitly endorsing the idea that there's one pot and we need to move things from here to there? You know, and how much, how much do I really want to pick this fight? Robbie and I are agreeing nicely about the need to cut the military budget and the need to do more domestic spending. And am I gonna? Am I gonna? choose this moment to say well actually Robbie it's not that our domestic spending is contingent on us cutting this military budget you know like am i going to pick am i going to am i going to make that into our battle or should i or or is it right for me to say yeah actually the reality is that the, all of this um, military spending illustrates the fact that there actually are no limits on our domestic spending not that
8: right that's this for one that's exactly Yeah, that's my first thought. Actually, that's that's exactly the way that I would go with it. Like, you have proof positive, okay? That, uh, and it's not just the military budget either. Like, if you look at things like the TARP bailouts after two thousand eight, and the you know the the COVID spending that almost all went to uh, you know businesses, okay? Like the Paycheck Protection Program or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. they weren't using that to paycheck protect; they were using that for stock buybacks. Like, there is as much money as they need, just not for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
8: yeah. that, I think, yeah. is is a perfect illustration of the point. That's, yeah, that's a great way to go about it.
1: Which is why, I mean, we need reasons other than spending. And this comes back to something that Nathan was saying, that, like, using arguments about expense for why we shouldn't do X, Y, and Z, instead of using the moral argument gets you into trouble, because if MMT says we can spend as we want, basically, with some limits, then that's an argument to continue military spending. So you have to have an argument in the alternative of why we don't want to do, you know, do imperialism, just like you have to have the moral argument in the alternative for why we don't want to do mass incarceration, even if there are some people who will agree with you to decarcerate because it's expensive to lock people up. What if that changes? What if their argument in the alternative, okay, we'll just murder people. We'll just kill all the prisoners because that's cheaper, you know? So I, I appreciate where Nathan's coming from there as well.
8: Yeah. I also like the way you framed it in today's, in the episode that dropped today. I know you didn't record it today. At least I hope not for your sake, because mm-hmm. I think it Four dropped at like five yeah. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, keep in, keep in mind, like I work a, a double 24 on the ambulance uh, on the weekends. Right. So I was actually up when it dropped at like four thirty or five in the morning. What a double! I was like 24? ooh, what a treat! Yeah, like I work forty eight straight. Like we're we're not out obviously running calls the whole time, but sleep is irregular. So like I was up running a call at like four thirty or five in the morning. Jesus,
1: Jonathan, is that and like legal? Are you guys like crazy tired?
8: <laughs> technically, to- yes. They they don't even have to give us a technical lunch break, but. Uh, because we're out there on our own, like we're like, hey, you keep trying to run us and not give us a lunch break. We need gas just like the ambulance does, so we're going to stop and take one. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that. That is kind of how it goes. But um, you were like, one of the things you said was uh, something along the lines of there are ways to do both in tandem. Mm-hmm. And I think that you have a particular gift for that sort of thing. And I do think we get to see you experimenting with that on The Rising. Mm-hmm. And it really is kind of a delight to watch the trial and error and the, the constant improvement process, uh, which I learn from as well and use. So, well,
1: that's, I appreciate you saying that, Jonathan. And it does really feel like a privilege to be able to kind of workshop this stuff for a living. So thank you for all your patience as I try and fail. <laughs> And, um, you know, thank you for, again, like I said to Amanda, for all of that you all contribute to my ability to work through this stuff, especially you, Jonathan, and uh, especially on this issue of MMT. Oh,
8: well, I am honored to be part of it. So thanks for having me up.
1: What a love fest. This, this, this is the real Valentine's Day episode, guys. LOL. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take care, Jonathan. I hope you get some rest. You too. All right. Keep the faith uh blue you look like a new caller what's on your mind today hey Bree. sorry can you hear me i can hear you
9: what's on hey. your mind Welcome. thank you um thank you for doing this around this time normally i can't really call in um because of work and things like that but um i uh i love your show Uh, I haven't had the chance to listen to the Nathan episode yet, but um, I'm really excited to listen to it. Um, When I uh, uh, I dialed in, I heard you talking to somebody about debating Ben Shapiro, and I just want Mm -hmm. to say if you get a chance, I think you should do it 100%. Um, He has a huge audience, and uh, just listening to you on Rising, you're so quick. Um, You know, on your feet, you always come up with a response. So I I feel like if anybody can, should debate Ben Shapiro, it should be you. Um, You're going to represent the left better than anybody. So
1: um, just wanted to say that. Well, I appreciate you saying that. My feeling is, you know, we'll see. I think that Nathan's point about... Yeah, yes, leftists should do it, but not if they're not prepared right. is a good one. And so, to me, it would depend on: Am I able to make time in my schedule to really do the kind of preparation, do the reading, let Nathan coach me, <laughs> <laughs> um, like in the corner of the of the boxing ring, mopping my brow or whatever is how I imagine it. But you know, are we, uh, if if I had, if the conditions were right, I agree that it could be worthwhile. But I'm not uh, interested in. Losing, sure. Uh, in exchange, and again, I would like it for not it to not be a debate. I think that also lowers the stakes for everyone involved. Um, yeah. But I would like it to be productive. I'll, I'll put it that way, not in, in win lose terms, but productivity. Terms.
9: Sure. Yeah. yeah. I've also always wondered: Have you ever been approached to do Joe Rogan? I have not. Okay. I think that would be great <laughs> if you ever um, you know got to go on there. I I feel like that would be awesome too because. You know, again, huge audience and um, you're just what I really like about you compared to a lot of other leftists, even though like I I like Kyle Kalinske and things like that. But sometimes I feel when they go on with, um, you know, the right or, you know, Joe Rogan or, you know, platforms like that, where somebody has more of a right point of view, sometimes I feel like they concede a little too much. And I appreciate that about you um, on the Hill that you know, you don't let stuff go by. <laughs> sometimes I feel like they do it too much. Like, I'm not saying you have to argue, but you're really good about doing it in a polite way and just saying, wait a minute, let's talk about what you just said. Um, and I think that's super important because sometimes I get disappointed when um, when leftists go on. And I feel like it's almost a wasted opportunity because um, they just you know what I mean they they just kind of let yeah. stuff go by a little too much when there was an opportunity there to to argue your side um and I feel like if you ever got a chance on Joe Rogan I think it could be really impactful
1: I mean look I'd I'd love to go there's a lot that I like about the format of his, of his show I'm as evidenced by how long we end up on these call-in episodes I am inclined to a three-hour conversation myself <laughs> I think there's something that's really intrinsically beneficial about his willingness to have those long chats because it enables you to take the time to get to the bottom of things uh, and clarify one's positions and look stuff up on the spot in a way that frankly can be difficult even on a show like Rising. Yeah. And so I would love to, I mean, I would love to do it. Obviously, it's a huge opportunity. It's a huge platform. And I think that DeRogan is a good faith conversational companion even if we disagree about stuff. And he has shown himself to be kind of open and willing to move positions yes. on stuff. And to hear different kinds of things, which is why I'm, I'm sometimes surprised when people maybe don't feel like they can, um, kind of contradict him yeah. maybe so squarely.
9: Yeah.
1: Uh, cause I think that actually he's a good sport about that sort of thing. and doesn't mind being disagreed with at all. I
9: agree with you on that. That's why, um, even though as much as I, um, disagree with him i i listen to him pretty frequently just because i feel that it's kind of refreshing there's so few people out there that are willing to kind of like be wrong and that's something that's kind of nice about him that he's kind of like oh my bad you know a lot of people aren't willing to do that so um but i just um i i do feel that a lot of people waste their opportunity when they go on there that there is um a lot more that you could get out there um uh another thing I wanted to ask you um is um Ben Burgess went on with uh I think his name is RJ Esco a few weeks ago. Uh might be a little bit longer actually. He uh, has like a smaller YouTube channel, I think. Um and I watched them debate force the vote and I never actually saw I, I don't have social media myself so I don't know if it, if anybody commented on it, but I haven't really heard anybody mention it. But I have to say um, R.J. Esko, uh, he, he appeared to be for force the vote. And I think he really was the first one where I saw Ben Burgess kind of, you know, I think he was a little surprised that um, they weren't agreeing uh, on this. And uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw
1: a little bit of this. This was like a couple of yeah. weeks ago, a little closer to when all this stuff went down. With right, yes,
9: yeah, and he had invited him on. And I, I don't know, I don't think Ben Burgess was anticipating it to be, I wouldn't say it was adversarial, but he seemed to have more disagreement than it looked like he was expecting. So it was pretty interesting because I I noticed that he had a hard time defending his position, Um, and uh, I I thought it was a good debate. I thought RJ Esco did a good job,
1: so I just wanted to know if you'd seen it. Uh, Yeah, I don't want to say that I've seen all of it because I'm not sure that Mm -hmm. I have, but I definitely saw some of it, and I definitely agree with you. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Sometimes, I, look, I don't want to cast – I don't want to, like, try to anticipate people's other people's minds, like inner, inner thoughts or what's motivating them or their m- mens rea or whatever. So – but, but it, it's what it feels like, my impression, what, what I experience, is that it sometimes feels like when I'm talking to some people about force the vote, That they don't, I'm sorry, like they don't respect me. And they're not hearing me as a consequence of just fundamentally not respecting me. Yep. And I hope that if there are other folks like uh, RJ Esco, I'm sorry, I'm not sure. Me neither. (laughs) Or others who, for reasons because they have a prior relationship or other reasons that are maybe more rooted in identity or whatever. Whatever Mm -hmm. the reason. Not trying to cast aspersions, but for whatever reason, if other people can be heard better than me, I'm happy for that to have happened, and whatever it takes to convince the the folks that I I think need to be convinced. But but on a personal level, it is very frustrating to feel as though... Um, the vessel matters. So yeah, much. I uh, you you really yeah. said it. I
9: I had the same impression when I listened to it that it was like wow. So so when you hear it from him, you can't respond the way that you've done <laughs> in the past because I feel like he's been very dismissive. It's been really disappointing because you know I I used to kind of like Ben Burgess. He was part of the whole TMBS universe and that kind of thing, but um, it. It just, I, I think you're right. I, I had the same impression when I listened to that. Um, and, you know, me, myself, I, uh, to be honest with you, I don't really, I'm not a fan of Jimmy Dore either, <laughs> but it's a good idea. Force the vote is a good thing, you know? I And mm-hmm. I don't dislike Jimmy Dore because of tone or any of the other things that people say. What, what I have an issue with is the same thing I mentioned earlier. I feel that he has a lot of opportunities to go on right-wing shows, and I feel like he is not, arguing the left position strongly enough and that bothers me a bit I feel the same way about a couple of people on in that kind of um, section of the left if you will I feel like you're so good because you're kind of like the only one who's neither one you're not in the majority report side of things uh, who I also used to listen to a lot but not so much anymore and also you're not like a in the Jimmy Dore camp you're you're just principled is the impression I get from you. and
1: um, That's very kind of you to say. Look, I will say that I think that Jimmy has gone on Tucker and talked about Julian Assange and kind of forced him to agree on that issue and several other really significant ones. And look, if anything, I think I've seen Jimmy be openly more openly critical and give pushback to tucker than some other folks that go on tucker whom i also Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. so i am a little i'm a little hesitant to co-sign that notion in fact i saw the last time jimmy went on tucker it kind of looked like tucker just ended the segment because he didn't want (laughs) like jimmy said too much too fast and he didn't want to let it go on so he just ended the segment which i think is a credit to jimmy to put him in that position But no one, you know, I take your broader point that you don't have to particularly like Jimmy Dore or enjoy his content or even agree with him on much of anything to believe that he was right about forced to vote and was kind of and that the issue was unfairly dismissed because of the fact that Jimmy simply supported it. Yeah, Um, And I think that was a real loss for the entire left. Oh, me
9: too. Me too. Um, And just the other thing that I would say, which I feel the same way about the majority report gang these days, too, is Another thing that I've noticed about Jimmy Dore is that it seems like if another person on the left, um, if he feels like he's not um, getting enough, um, like, I don't like, for example, the, you know, the coming after um, crystal ball and things like that, uh, which just seems kind of unfounded, um, you know, from his uh, that I've seen from him, like, attacks on, like, other commentators that it doesn't really seem like they've done much except for not offer sufficient support to him personally or things like that. Um, and, and also I feel sometimes also I think it's fine to be critical of Birdie and AOC, but then I, I feel like the same, they're willing to kind of give credit to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, but then not give the same credit to AOC or Bernie when they do good things. So that that's just a couple of things that I feel concerned about. But um, overall, I think force the vote 100% behind it for sure.
1: Yeah, well, look, I'm so I'm so glad, Blue, that you were able to call in. I know that this earlier time is inconvenient for some, but it's lovely to hear from uh, new voices like yours. So thanks for listening and thanks for calling yeah, in. Yeah, I think you're awesome. Thank you, Brie. Thank you, Blue. Keep the faith. All right, Dina, what's on your mind today? Hi. Hello.
10: Um, so what's on my mind today? Uh, my union is going on strike tomorrow and the day after <laughs> for tell two us, days.
1: Tell us more. What, where do you work? What's your union? What's, what's that issue?
10: Um, so I work at a legal aid organization in New York City. Okay. Uh, So we serve um, low income people uh, in New York. Um, The biggest thing we do is immigration law and tenant rights law. So I'm in the tenant rights unit. Oh, right. So what is the issue? Um, The issue is... Raises, um, health insurance premiums skyrocketing, mm-hmm. and um, a really big thing for us is workload. Mm-hmm. Um, our caseloads are ridiculously high. People, some people work like twelve-hour days, mm-hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so negotiation, like bargaining, has been going on for seven months now. Um, our contract expired in June. Mm -hmm. Um, which I also have thoughts about the strategy of waiting so long. Um, but I wasn't working. (laughs) I wasn't working at this job yet. Um, when that was going on, so can't really, um, like, yeah, Yeah. I can't really have too much of, of an opinion there. Um, but yeah, so it's been very exciting. Um, I'm learning so much about, the organizational structure and logistics that go into a strike um and uh like for example like i'm a strike captain mm-hmm. so everybody is being divided into groups of 12 um called a strike pod um and then we also have um a bunch of committees so we have a hardship committee so that it is in charge of the strike fund and distributing those funds um, for people who need it. Um, there's a benefits committee that is in charge of making sure that people get strike pay. Um, and if we end up going on an indefinite strike um, later, um, they would be in charge of also um, in New York, we can get unemployment after uh, a week on strike. Um, so which is super helpful, <laughs> um, to the point where um, the biggest, re- like, the biggest reason why people are reluctant to go on strike um, was actually not really financial stuff as much as it was um, concern for our clients' well-being.
1: Clients. Yeah, that's the trouble with those client client services yeah. positions.
10: Yeah, it's kind of similar to, like, the nurse's strike. Um, And so that's definitely something that we've had to, like, deal with. Um, And that's why we started with a two-day strike. Um, Just so – well, there's a lot of reasons why we chose to do a two-day strike. That was one of the reasons, just to get people comfortable with going on strike. And and also, like, two days is kind of – the maximum people were willing to um, not work for their clients and have supervisors take on our enormous caseloads. Um, but also because uh, setting up the infrastructure for a strike is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, and well, can it's you tell us a little bit
1: of what, about what that means? Because I think when we were talking about the railroad strike and it started mm-hmm. to come out that they – weren't really prepared to go on strike and that was part of where there wasn't you know, against yeah. Biden strike breaking. It's difficult for people who haven't, like myself, haven't been through the process to really understand what it takes. So can you speak to that a little bit?
10: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, is that leading up to a strike, um, that's a strike is like the most escalatory um, step of the entire bargaining process. Um, And so in order to be ready for a strike at this point, you have to be, I mean, doing like the organizing um, and talking to members. And um, like, um, so starting with like smaller actions that people can participate in. Um, So we had a few months ago, we had an hour long, um, like lunchtime picket um, that people were able to come to, um, which is also kind of, like, a trial run for now what we need to do, which is picket duty for two days. Um, then, like, there's the build-up to the strike authorization vote, um, where, again, like, you're doing the organizing, talking to your fellow coworkers, um, and, like, you know, a great question that someone, um, came up with to like talk to people was instead of saying like, why are you reluctant to strike? What would make you comfortable going on strike? Mm. Um, And yeah. What did you get from that? um, A lot of it was like, again, the client stuff Mm. um, and wanting to make sure that, you know, their clients weren't going to be deported while they're on strike or their clients weren't going to be evicted while because that's the work we do or the difference a lot of the time between someone being deported or not. Um, and so a lot of that had to do with just education uh, and like ha- making it clear to people that like, it also depends on the unit, what kind of work they do, but like um, a lot of the times you can schedule appearances in court, you know, on different days. Um, you can't like we are all sending our supervisors strike memos with like all our cases and all the information they need um to do our work um and just generally like people preparing because it's not like every single client that you have is going to have an emergency in those two days um it's just people who have you know like have signed a stipulation of settlement that they're going to pay their arrears by a certain date, um, or else, you know, again, risk, uh, being evicted. Um, so yeah. So like, you can kind of prepare for that. We gave people about a week, um, to prepare from what, like when we announced that we were going to do the two day strike. um, yeah and and then also this, the second thing was um talking to people about um like losing your pay for those two days and how that would work um there were people there were people that like didn't know their union rights and thought that they would be fired or retaliated against if they went on strike mm. um so it sounds like you, and
1: I mean obviously the purpose of the strike is is Uh, For these workload and pay issues that you described, but it also seems like you're doing some really kind of foundational education, Mm -hmm. labor education, that could have much longer legs than just this one, this one moment.
10: Yeah, definitely. Um, And, like, that's the difference between, like, the business model of a union versus the organizing model of a union where it's like you're not the union isn't just providing you a service in exchange for your dues um it's like actually a consciousness raising like getting people to be involved in direct actions um and Building that solidarity and that yeah and that education um,
1: and Ben has a great question in the chat actually about the logic behind announcing in advance that it's going to be a short a, a strike of a limited duration in this case two mm-hmm. days you know can, you know one might one might think well, if they know it's going to end, they can hold out, and so does that diminish the power of the strike i mean could, do do you know much about the rationale mm-hmm.
10: there? yeah um so The thing is, is our bargaining unit is about 250 people. So in that large of a group, you're not going to be able to keep a secret. Uh, We tried (laughs) Mm. Um, and it leaked. So we announced that we were going to go on strike, I think, on Tuesday. And by Thursday, it had management was already aware. Um, So one way that we tried to minimize how much um, time they had to prepare was telling our members that they should be ready to strike by a certain date, but not necessarily which specific dates. Um, so, so, And we told them that like two to three weeks ago. Um, so yeah, you kind of try to minimize it. Um, in terms of management knowing that it's two days, I think that doesn't minimize the power of the strike because the two day is a warning. Um, it's like a precursor of what's to come mm. if they don't move after the two day. Um and because and it's also the two day is also about ironing out all the kinks, like the committees figuring out how it's yeah, you you, you can't immediately um do an indefinite strike, honestly. Um yeah. especially because you need to be building member confidence and you're also always trying to escalate. Um and like the thing is we don't want to go on an indefinite strike like we want management to move um so yeah so it, it yeah, really that makes is sense. yeah it really is like a trial run um but i remember you asking about like the logistics of the strike so i i want i started talking about the committee the different committees we have mm-hmm. um so i i talked about hardship i talked about benefits um we have external comms so you know, talking to the press and stuff. Um, We have internal comms, which is like communicating with our members, making sure we have like kind of standardized communication within the strike pods with all the strike captains telling their pods kind of the same information. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a child care committee, which I'm the chair of. Um, I used to, my job before this was, um, I was a preschool teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of, providing support um for kids that will be on the picket line um Mm. so having like activities um a little bit like across the street from the picket line where or like a little further away so that like they can just chill out and have a break somewhere that's not so loud and stimulating um or if they're tired um then um which is i mean that's it's what it's sounds like um so that's people who are like on the day of the picketing that they're like there to take care of any issues um there's the picket coalition committee which is basically their job is to reach out to different organizations that um might like that might be interested in like coming to our picket line or supporting us in some other way Um, so like New York city DSA is one of them. Um, there's other legal aid organizations, um, in New York city, uh, like, uh, politicians, um, stuff like that. Um, and there's also picket art committee. Um, and finally there's a food committee. Um, and so it's like, it's pretty non-hierarchical, um we have the bargaining committee so on the second day of the strike there's going to be a bargaining session um so we'll see we'll see what happens <laughs> well do
1: look uh you know thursday by the thursday colin um you know you'll know something so i hope you'll keep us updated as to how it goes and is there is, can you let the group know is there any way that they can be
10: supportive mm-hmm. yeah so i'll drop the link in the chat with the strike fund
1: fantastic Thanks mm-hmm. for calling in, Dina. That's exciting yeah. stuff. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. All right. Keep it safe. All right. Uh, I got to call on Odo after all this Star Trek talk. I don't know if this is bait, but if it's bait, it's working. If you want me to call on you, change your name to Mr. Worf, Sarek, you know, Borg Queen, Deanna,
6: Data, Jordi LaForge, Lieutenant Barkley, You know I'm I'm a simple gal I have simple
1: desires Odo unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind you guys hear me hey Odo
11: hey what is going on I apologize uh I'm driving is there an echo are we all good
1: oh uh, we can hear a little ambient noise but I think it's okay
11: okay okay I will try to alleviate it. Um, Well, you know, first-time caller, long-time listener. Love me some Star Trek. Love people who love Star Trek. (laughs) It's a good time. Um, Let's see. What I would have to... Let me try to pull over here. Excuse me. All right, all right, buddy, all right. Okay. Um, First of all, what I'd like to say... Have you watched any of the new Star Treks?
1: So I watched about the first season of Discovery. And I yeah. watched like three episodes of Picard, maybe. Yeah. But not very much, no. And I'm going to fix that. But no. Should I? Like, how are you feeling about them?
11: Yeah. <sighs> All right. I'm not going to do any spoilers. But do you, do you want tonal? You know, do you want, like, a tonal vibe, or do you want, like, do you want some neutrality?
1: I mean, like, my, my impression of Picard was that it was, like, Dark Trek, that yeah. people don't like Dark Trek, and I'm one of those people, that yeah. they don't like the idea that there's, like, corruption within Starfleet, um, because that's the whole point yeah. of, like, Starfleet
6: yeah. like,
1: this optimistic, like, utopian star, uh, science fiction.
6: Yeah. I, I was, I was
1: yeah. kind of intrigued by the idea of Picard out with yeah. Like, that was an intriguing premise, but the idea yeah. that what, what, remind me again, it was, like, Romulans infiltrating, like, somehow all these shapes so, were infiltrating.
11: Yeah, like, what it, like, it, it picks up, and this is gonna be, like, relatively spoiler-free for everybody, this is just, like, the beats of kind of where everything picks up, but it's, you know, like, oh, okay, it's, you know, oh, Picard, it's, like, you know, maybe 30 years later, you know, like, and it's kind of just, they leave things vague, but they want you to know that, like, oh my gosh, like, admirable, you know, Admiral Picard is, like, on the outs with Starfleet based over a uh, Romulan situation on the border of the Beta Quadrant where their, like, sun explodes. And, like, oh, you know, like,
6: Starfleet didn't do enough to help the Romulans because something... 80s, 90s Star Trek, but we would call androids. They modernize it. They call them synths, and so
11: it's like a revolved around. Like, oh my gosh, what's what's this
1: mystery? Is it not you know to like call them androids anymore?
11: I, I I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I, something about the word synth made me feel like that was even more Yeah,
1: that sounds like a slur. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. like
11: I was like <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was like, and they just and they keep hammering it too, and you're just like, um, well, okay, um. Yeah, so it's you know it's it's tragedy in real time. You know it's like it's not the. I'll say this: the first season is not as bad as the second season. The second season is objectively, 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 and I say this with some credentials on an app. I can't remember, probably a decade ago, I was the number one Star Trek trivia person in New York State. So I don't want to get into it. I don't want to. I don't want to dazzle you with my accolades. I don't want to dazzle you with my. I'm already theory.
1: dazzled
11: it's you know i understand that you know i'm a star that burns bright uh, <laughs> these are all things I know. but the second season is objectively the worst star trek i've ever seen i even struggle to call it star trek it is worse than I enterprise mean, wor- worse than the blatant misogyny of enterprise you know like <laughs> it is it, enterprise digs that ditch and i you know what i respect enterprise because it eventually found its voice you know mm-hmm. it, it it got there and, you know, I, I why I bring this up is because uh, Picard season three just started to kick off. I haven't watched it yet. I'll probably wait until the entire season comes out. But,
1: uh-huh. you know, it's,
11: it's you know, the premise of that one is apparently, like, you know, it's a next-gen reunion cast kind of, yeah, you know, season. Yeah, they're bringing so.
1: more fun. That's why I was, like, committing to watch it because I'm obviously going to watch whatever Michael Dorn does. Yeah. <laughs>
11: of uh the you know the one they go back to 2024
6: and i and i I,
11: I, i'm gonna give you a small spoiler for season two if you don't mind just because this is a this is a bugaboo it's not gonna ruin anything Uh but they go back to 2024 in season two of picard they don't even fucking mention the bell riot are you serious they they don't even fucking touch it dog I literally am sitting there going out of my mind, you know, like they don't even they, they want to just in technically it's a parallel like universe kind of thing going on. But like, it's not even it, it, it's they don't they don't do any of the work to describe that. And I would say that it, it's just it's lazy. It sucks. It's bad. I love Star Trek. I love, you know, me some Picard.
1: Why would they do that? If they're not going to write it for us who are they effing writing it for?
11: That's that's what I'm saying and this the entire second season again no spoiler but the crux revolves around Picard's mommy issues. Like get the fuck out of here. get the fuck out of here. But
1: Picard doesn't this, have a mom. He was, he came it, out of a like a tank by some exactly. technology we don't have yet.
11: He is literally the, the, the definition of the comrade you want. You know, he's he takes the beats of history and he embodies them. You know, he's not talking about the cellular individual. And, you know, like, oh, oh this is where I come from. And hold on, everybody. I know we're talking about no, something.
1: Has he... An, he was born on the vine in the vineyard mm-hmm, in France. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. he has a, a strange relationship with his, you know, joie de vivre brother. That's Mm -hmm. all we need to know. All I need to do is be intense tense and
6: uptight for 15 minutes on the farm. Yep. He did more story explaining the realities of human life when him and his brother are tossing and
11: turning each other, beating each other up in a freaking, you know, vineyard. Okay, that displays (laughs) to you at least some timeless human condition stuff. Picard... Going over and over, I, I, you'll watch it hopefully one day and be disgusted. Maybe you won't, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's honestly, it's, it's truly for the tried and true, you know, like if it, and you almost if you hate yourself a little bit, you'll watch it, but <laughs> it, it's tough. And Discovery, here, I'll say this about this, and then I can move on from Star Trek, everybody. Obviously, again, as New York's, you know, uh, heavyweight from 10 years ago, you know, it's just. <laughs>
6: unbearable,
11: but yeah. they, they at least push, they go somewhere. You know what I mean? They, they go for a certain amount of boldness and they're not afraid to change the story up. And so I can respect that. I can respect that. But it is again, everybody having like a regular conversation and then being like, and you know where I'm coming from, you know, here's my trauma and my trauma and my trauma. And this makes me relatable by me interjecting my trauma into the middle of a conversation it's you're just like what is like people don't speak like this people like please stop this i know you're trying to display something you know that is like you know you want people to feel i, I don't know quote unquote seen but like this is it's disturbing it, it's bordering on like was this allowed to be made for some sort of you know <laughs>
1: okay i'll watch it like i see jonathan giving some pushback he says he liked it so i'll keep an open mind but you yeah. are making me curious so i'm gonna follow yeah. up i do like um like i did like sonequa, sonequa martin green yeah like, i, I yeah. wanted to watch for her i yeah. liked her first i liked her first little hairdo and then they got yeah. bit, and then they were making some decisions that weren't all landing well some like weight caps that i didn't love but yeah. I support her. I think she's beautiful. And I really wanted to be into that.
11: Yeah. And it's, of like, the show. Know, and it's like, you know, like she gets some braids later. They're, you know, they're, they're smoking, they're good. That's a good, that's a good Yeah. A good it, it, yeah. It, it, it's just, you know, I don't know. It's some of the stuff, because it's a lot of it, especially, and this is modern sci-fi as a whole, everybody, you know, like this is, you know, the, the darkness, uh, the dystopia, the kind of like, it, and also this, there's always a managerial figure that is undermining the main protagonist who's always just like you know like i don't i don't think you can do it enough you have to prove it to me you know like that kind of shit and you're just like why is why are you trying to put propaganda in here for everybody to be achieving whatever the fuck their like shift manager wants you know like that's you know, like let's stop this like like please just let people live stop trying to make people brown nose to whatever quote unquote superior is in their vicinity. it's disgusting That's
1: not even there were, there was none of that on star trek like Riker no. was like, completely without ambition but yeah. was always like my guy like you gotta move on and he was like no i'm yeah. here to, like i'm chilling man like yeah i'm learning <laughs> by the way Odo, i i gotta ask you really quick i saw it trending in They're looking at the guy from Superman to be the new Riker.
11: Oh, I don't know. I don't know. For for new Riker? For new
1: reboot, and like the guy, what's the guy's name from Superman who they just fired from Superman, who's also from The Witcher?
6: Oh, I'm not a super, I'm not like a reboot.
1: Henry Henry Canville.
6: Okay.
1: Okay. He's Mm. very handsome. Anyway, he's not a Riker, and I was like, I'm not. This is really mad at this. Let's see how this plays out. No, goes. listen,
11: it, the The truest style, I don't care if a record is four foot two, I don't care their gender, I don't care what race, I don't care whatever the, the true testament, how do they mount a chair? That's all we're looking for. You know, like
6: <laughs> if they straddle that bad boy with confidence, you know, they kick it, you know, they swing the leg over They need to audition a lot of people, and I want to see
1: all the audition tapes. I want to see yeah. hundreds of legs swinging.
5: <laughs> oh, yeah.
11: Oh, yeah. I need to, you know, and there's, you know, listen, you know, if you got some hip dysplasia, maybe you can only swing the left leg, maybe you can
5: only swing the <laughs> right leg, you know.
11: It, it's all good. But there it has to be, and you know what, honestly, you know what, I don't want to be in, I don't want to get into an ableist space. So, you know, like, as long as there's bravado, I'll say, I don't, you don't yes. even have to have legs to swing, yes, you know, like, someone-
1: it's fine. Someone in the chat said Peter Dinklage would be a great Riker. And high key, like, that's there you the go. right
11: energy. At 100%. That is spot on. You need something yes. with that raw, piercing eyes of confidence. That's just mm-hmm. laying it down. And you know what? Will Riker, you guys, he was fucking a non-gender, a genderqueer kind of, like, alien. I think yep. in like the 60s in a TNG. So, you know, like, or maybe it was earlier. I can't even remember. But he did it. You know, he did it.
1: Riker you know, like, was going to have sex with anyone or anything that came mm-hmm, down the the mm-hmm. came across the transporter beam you know 100%, yeah. he did not discriminate
11: no somebody's batting in those eyes and he's like you know, <laughs> all right you know like i mean if i remember he was willing to leave starfleet over it you know what i mean like you gotta have somebody with like that 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 kind of swagger that kind of heart but
1: terminally yeah. horny Riker. Yeah, <laughs> that's I, what I mean, the people want
11: it's when you listen if you have food taken care of you know you have transportation <laughs> taken care of you have health care taken care of you have education taken care of let the people fulfill their inner you know carnal desires you know and that's if it's going to be with a genderqueer alien it's going to be with a genderqueer alien let it, let do it. it let
1: be it- let him live put that little like shiny space blanket fabric a uh, little toga on loosely belted give the people a little chest hair okay a little a little upper thigh and let's get Ooh. back to the roots of what Star Trek was always about.
11: <laughs> Absolutely. Just a little bit of like, you know, it's like a little bit of sexy, little sexy. My, you know, sexy communism, like a little bit like my, at least I feel like with Lady Star Trek, the way it's developed was to be like, almost like kind of like flex on Soviet Union in a way and be like, you know, like, you know, we don't even need communism or anything like that. Like we did it better ourselves, like blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to say it helped lead to the collapse of the Soviet Union, but maybe it did, you know, like maybe people saw it. Maybe people were like, well, you know, Maybe there's different ways to get there, you know. Maybe, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe some. Con-
1: okay, we're not here for it. Well, thank you. I have enjoyed this Odo. I don't know about everybody else, What? this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it's so what it is. Have... Sorry. Go ahead. Oh
11: yeah. Um. Yeah, I didn't uh, get to watch this new episode. I did see the Stephanie Kellan one. You know, it was good. It's I appreciate the beat she's hitting is like you know stuff that's gonna help you know rope people in a certain direction. So you know it's not gonna be everything you know that we probably want, but it's I, anything that kind of you know shoves people and nudges them towards you know expanding you know their their realm of possibility. I think that's you know number, like number one, I think is like one of the most important things just for like a socialist bent in the country in general. And that's why, you know, I just, I appreciate so much what you do. I I was one of those people who is like, you know, your life, you know, stay up late, you know, go, you know, wake up late, you know, do whatever you got to (laughs) do. But I do, you know, I, I see the utility and you do a phenomenal job. And I appreciate you out there taking the hits for people and having to get up early and, you know, <laughs> really, you know, engaging with stuff that is. We all hold so many preconceived notions about everything. And so until you see or hear, you know, or even participate in, you know, working that kind of out, it's, you know, we're all stuck in our truncated senses of imagination until we're, you know, skimmed to explore something deeper and i think you do a really great job at funneling people to you know um i forget the name of the caller who called in blue like you know saying like you know a very in a principled way you know it's not you're not taking it you know sitting down it's like you want the assumption is is that people are good and it's just they need something you know they they need the backbone to (laughs) to, to to believe in it you know they need to hear the words with confidence and they need to see, you know, like these aren't, to be kind isn't embarrassing. You know, like to be compassionate is not naive. You know, like to love is to not, you know, just be, to be a doormat. Instead, these are all consecrated strengths, you know, that of what it means to be human. And yet we allow such, and I'm going to, you know, I don't mean to like put Robbie in this category, but he's very emblematic of it, is, is we don't need to allow very small-minded and you know high uh way and so i appreciate what you're doing out there and i appreciate you know, people like, you know, Ole, who takes, you know, more even antagonistic model to yeah. it, you know, but the, she, the lane, oof, she
1: gets some pushback and God bless her for standing strong too. Yeah,
11: it's, it's incredible. It's, you know, like you can tell there's something inside, especially, and again, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, sister, man, you know, I'm out here myself. Like I get it. There is something inside that when people are, when something's pushing on them, they are like, you know, they rebel, you know, almost without, you know, they, they're they typing and they're hitting post immediately without even thinking about it. They're, you know, they're saying words, you know, that they maybe otherwise would never say kind of thing. Like it is when you speak truth, you know, the, the old hit dog hollers kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like people are, you know, they react viscerally to it. And, you know, I haven't checked the, you know, the comment sections in uh, the rising YouTube page in, you know, a few months. But, you know, the last time I looked at it, it was, you know, like, I mean, you are, you are saying the most tepid, straightforward, you know, things. And you would think, you know, like these people are thinking you were from Mars kind of thing, you know, like, but I, I don't know what the breakdown is, but like, it's, it's tough. Cause what it shows me is, is like, people don't, I, they don't have the, the, maybe the models in their life. I don't know, like whatever, whatever cynical structure they have grown into, they defend. And, you know, that is,
1: that's, that's
11: a tough road to hope. You know, like that's, that's, that's tough shit. You know, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I does feel like there's slowly shifts coming. There were a couple of radars they did last week that people were really into. Everyone's really into all of the train um derailment stuff. I feel like that could be a real a real like shift moment yeah. for the left because it's a moment mm-hmm. where I think ideals have been proven to be completely empty. there's nothing in libertarianism or conservatism that really Rises to this moment. You can sit around and say I hate Pete Buttigieg, which is fine. Like
0: yeah. The
1: love lost uh, mm-hmm. But you know, it's not, it's not really just a Buttigieg issue. It's a systemic issue mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg mm-hmm. is the one That told them they didn't have to get the good breaks uh, Back mm-hmm. during the trump administration and you know the Biden uh, during the obama administration as well, you know as david sorota has outlined so Comprehensively and the Levin, mm-hmm. This is not a po- political. This is not a partisan issue rather so Mm-hmm. I appreciate everything you said, Odo, and I like you, you know, squaring that circle saying that kindness isn't Chugy.
5: No, <laughs> it's not like a Star like...
1: Trek way to look at the world, so I appreciate you calling in. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for
11: having me. appreciate you know as a former skeptic you know turned you know ardent defender of you on rising though if you got to get out at any fucking moment do it like jesus christ <laughs> you know but you know thanks so much and have a great rest of the day bye
1: thank you you too Odo. keep the faith and good on you for pulling over while you were driving so we could all be concentrating and safe. all right uh brent what's on your mind tonight uh, this Hi,
12: Bree. So I have a couple questions. Um, the first one is um, after um, the episode where Robbie said it was okay to shoot at people that were stealing that steal cars, um, he started wearing glasses. Is that a coincidence? Or...
1: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Robbie's not in the witness protection program. You, you, you crazy kid.
12: <laughs> I, I, that was on my mind and you, and you asked what's on your mind so i was thinking when i saw right when i saw like another episode i was like i I couldn't even watch because i was like he's wearing glasses now hmm is he is he trying to look more um i don't know how to say it more proper i i just had to bring that up i know people <laughs> have accused me on calling to of of trying to stir up drama or whatever but t- I just yes, wanted to Brent, know
1: messy as hell. <laughs> messy Brent in the chat. <laughs> okay. All right, um, Brent. What's your what
6: is your real Okay, so um those What does it mean exactly to be anti-war in your
12: opinion? Is it to not fight back at all even in self-defense? Just let people kill you or to let people beat you up? Is it fighting only in self-defense? Is it um invading countries because you're afraid that they're going to attack back? What is your approach, your opinion of what anti-war what does that mean to you?
1: Well, I, you know, I don't know that I'm a pacifist. Um you know, But the question is, it's, uh, it's interesting, the framing, actually, because there's this question of, is it anti-war? Is it anti-imperialism? What is the difference? And I started to try to have this conversation a little bit when the war first started um, a year ago when I had a old dude on the show. Um, sorry, my brain. I just had a complete brain part. Uh, Bernie's foreign policy... Um, advisor whose name just flew out of my head i'm staring at his face matt dust matt dust on the show and at the time given that i knew very little about ukraine or the precipitating history or what was really going on it was like the first week or so i was trying to frame the conversation more to be about well what are the standards in a more abstract way for when americans should be involved in a conflict that doesn't involve us directly because that's the scenario, right? Like, no one's right. really coming over here. So what's you know what's the... what? When do we go over there? And, you know, as many times as I brought that up over the course of the last year, I've never really gotten a satisfactory answer. And there is this idea in people's minds of a platonic ideal, World War II type scenario where there's a very clear genocide happening um, at a scale at which it seems deeply unethical not to intervene, to stop. But given how many genocides have happened subsequently, given the level of tragedy that's happened subsequently that we have not intervened in, it, it raises this question of is there ever an, a, an ethical compulsion to intervene, and how can we tell when that is or when a genuine tragedy is simply being used as an excuse for Americans' world building? And I don't know. I, I don't have the answer to that question, and I really do wish – we were able as a community to be kinda of having those kinds of questions instead of endlessly going back and forth about like uh you're a no you're a Putin puppet, no you're you know, whatever, you know? You're gonna drape yourself in blue and yellow, et cetera, et
12: cetera. Right, right. So my question it then is do you believe those people bring up like the shelling people Ukraine killing their own citizens in the Donbass? And people say, well, Russia, they're trying to protect the ethnic Russians, so they they were justified to invade. Do you believe um, that, just, that Russia was justified to invade Ukraine because Ukraine was committing a genocide in the Donbass?
1: Was Russia uh, justified in invading because Ukraine was doing a genocide in the Donbass? I'll tell you what. There's a there's an I mean, there's a there's a version of this where you just switch the names of the countries around and we, you know, could very easily say America was justified in intervening somewhere to stop some genocide. And we say it all the time and we you know.
5: Wow.
1: So. And, and by the way, I might say that America was wrong to have done that, right? Like I very well right. would probably Absolutely. have said so in that yeah. case, then Russia's wrong doing it, too. But there's, there's two questions here. There is, um, is America, is, is Russia wrong? And also, is America hypocritical for pointing out that Russia is wrong and pretending that it behaves any differently? Absolutely.
12: I mean, look at the Middle East, the involvement of America in multiple Middle Eastern countries. I mean, the U.S. is in no position to wag their finger at Russia and say, you're wrong for invading Ukraine. I mean, the U.S. is not, I mean, you look at Iraq, the most well-known example of invading
6: a country. I mean, we, the U.S. is in no position to rush. The Russian invasion seems to be the hot topic. So,
12: I mean, Did I just you, want to add to that.
1: Uh, I'm afraid I had family in town and wasn't able to pay as much attention to the rally as I would have liked. Did you manage to catch any of it? Any of the speeches? And were these topics addressed at all?
12: I did watch some of it on, someone was calling in, um, they they recorded on their phone, and I took objection to some of the callers because they claimed they were anti-war, yet they supported the Russian invasion, and I don't want to get into too much on here because there's other people waiting, but I just feel like it's very, it's a contradiction. movement or do you believe that as long as they say something anti-war whatever they say on youtube or whatever uh, doesn't really matter
1: yeah i mean my, my top level about the about the event was that I, I i think it's completely fair for people to have their criticisms but i support the idea of coming around a single issue even with people that you disagree with <laughs> And you can be there, draw contrast with the people that you want to draw contrast with, distance yourself from views that you don't hold, et cetera, as long as there is, like, genuine alignment on a significant broad issue like being anti-war. now.
12: Sorry, I want to interrupt really quick. Sorry. I apologize. But the difference is not whether someone believes. A Russian invasion of a country of Ukraine, and I I feel that's what
1: I'm getting at. That's what I was getting at when I said you know genuinely an agreement about a top level issue. Now the question about whether or not people are genuinely anti-war is an interesting one. Are you anti-war? Are you just anti-Ukraine?
12: Right. That's a legit.
1: Yeah, and I I don't know enough about who was saying what there to really opine on whether or not that was the case. But, again, even – I mean, to be honest, is, should the whole event be canceled because there was somebody involved that maybe took that position? I, I don't know about that either. Uh, I, I mean, you'd have to tell me more about what was going on at the event. And like I said, I wasn't able to watch enough of that. But were there, were there speeches? Anti-war? Um,
12: I didn't hear all of them. I only hear a certain portion, like only a select speakers. Um, I can't really address the whole rally as a whole, but I do feel like if someone is going to be a speaker at a rally at a rally, anti-war rally, they need to have a consistent anti-war message. And the the what it means to be anti-war needs to be clearly defined because it's very. I saw the attendance at Washington D.C. You're very familiar with Washington D.C. Obviously. And they couldn't fill, you know that rectangle on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial? Like there's like a place where they sell, there's like vendors.
1: Do you think there would have been more attendance if whoever the objectionable speakers were, weren't there?
12: It's tough to say, Even even if that it's, even if the everything was run smoothly, considering the military industrial complex, how powerful it is, in America I don't think it would have been like super jam packed where the whole city would have shut down but I would expect at least much more than what I saw in the video so but the movement itself having these speakers where they, they they're not even having they don't even have a consistent anti-war message it's going to be very hard to convince people who believe that only russia is the bad guy and the u.s is uh is totally innocent in the world i mean it's very hard to convince those people to get on board with the anti-war movement and to vote for their interests so
1: yeah yeah i mean like i just was trying to i don't know that i would connect low attendance to whatever the controversies were about speakers and i also i am sensitive to the critics of the of the people who are involved in this who say well the critics of it aren't necessarily trying to put on their own conference or offering alternatives. you know they're not planning events. you know say someone like um, Chris Hedges who participated. I'm sure if someone had an alternate anti-war rally with a lineup of speakers that was all non-objectionable, he would be happy to speak there as well. but it, it does seem to be that there's a lot of negativity that always comes out around these things, perhaps justifiably so, but very little that's done to organize alternatives. And it does make it seem sometimes a little bad faith. So, again, I don't know. It it does seem like there were maybe one or two people who were really what this was all about. And maybe the event would have been more successful and drawn more viewership or participation if they hadn't been involved. But honestly, like, I I don't know. I just, I don't, I'm not a big big fan of putting so much focus. Like, if it were me and I disagreed with one of the speakers, I would have said, I'm going to come, I'm going to speak. I disagree with someone's view on X, Y, and D, but I think this is an important event. And I just think the ugliness gets to a point where you are creating the reality, not you personally, but obviously critics are creating the reality of low turnout and less efficacy. It's its a difficult chicken and the egg situation, but I don't know. I don't know. Again, I, I'd prefer to um, to take a, a closer look at what was actually said before I, I weigh in per se, because I don't the problem here. I heard that the Ritter person didn't actually speak, that they withdrew from the event.
12: I think he did. I, I, I don't know. I didn't watch the whole rally, so I don't know if he was, I think he was forced to withdraw, I, I believe, because of, I'm not, I heard he was involved with some sort of inappropriate behavior, uh-huh. but I don't know the whole story regarding that. I mean, it's very, I try to focus on whether someone's the anti-war message, the other outside stuff, I mean, that shouldn't be the focus of the rally. So, and I, I do want to address one more thing before I get off. Um, the, the, the thing about if you criticize, but you don't have a better option, you have no room to criticize. So if I criticize Robbie on his second,
1: don't have room to criticize, but I'm saying that I'm a little skeptical of how much people are really, how much some people are really invested in an event like this. It was like around force the vote. It was like a bunch of people saying, well, you're not a real organizer, so, and I don't, and laughing about what the turnout was, when they had no, they, at no point did they say, well, I will help you make this better, or I will help you plan an alternative. It was just about punching down. And so I think there were a lot of people who were very involved in the planning of this, who didn't like how it was going and there were internal struggles which i think are very legitimate but i also think there's a way that there was a um a take a take having complex about whether or not you're on the right side or the
6: wrong side of whether this was a good or bad idea from people who are outside Right, right.
1: Um, you're, you're, Everyone's allowed to have an opinion. But, right. you know, I, I, I see what happens when someone says, hey, should there be a general strike? And a bunch of people who are like, no, 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 we can't even have a discussion about a general strike. I don't know, that's suspicious to me. Of course you can have an opinion that it's premature for a general strike. But if you think it's premature for a general strike and at no point you ever want to make moves toward it, as being in a situation where that could actually happen, including the public education piece, where we even just explain to folks what a general strike is and what the historical precedence of it is. Well, at a certain point, I started to become suspicious that maybe you don't actually want there to be a general strike at all because you don't actually care about what the goals of the general strike are. And maybe you're an op. Like, I don't know. <laughs>
12: <Maybe>. <laughs> right, right. But I do th- feel it is it is fair to have uh, standards as to what an anti— what. The speakers having a consistent anti-war message if after if everyone's consistent in that messaging and there's still criticisms then i do question the critics like what you're questioning the low turnout then and every all the speakers are truly anti-war then what's your problem you're and i could i could see how the critics could be seen as being having an agenda but the so far the in terms of the speakers, I do feel there is some criticism, because fair criticism because anti-war is.
1: So no, the, I I completely take your point. But again, with the yeah. Ritter stuff, he wasn't being. My understanding was that the reason people didn't want him to speak was because he had a past history of some kind of sexual exploitation, right?
12: Like that needs that should have been right. handled. I just,
1: I'm sorry. I just want to, I just want to wrap this up really quick. If the point is, if your, your point is about speakers who are anti-war speaking at an anti-war rally, that's completely legitimate, but that is not what I was hearing about. What I was hearing about was people who had checkered past, who were hostile to other interest groups, who were maybe transphobic or did other kinds of things that were also invited to speak and who are right wing, who are libertarian, who are Ron, Rand Paul, those kinds of things. And, you know, I feel differently about each of the kinds of categories that I mentioned but the, the, the general principle of if all those people want to come and talk about being anti-war, is that a net good as long as everyone distinguishes that, well, I don't agree with that person's transphobia and I don't agree with that person's libertarianism and I don't agree with X, Y, and Z. I see the value of that. And I respect people who feel differently, but I see the value of that. Now, your question about, well, if you're not even anti-war, is there value in that? I think is a legitimate word of p- folks at least like uh, the Ritter guy.
12: Right. So I'll let other. But thank you so much for uh, letting me speak on this, and I'll let I'll get going. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much, Brent. Keep the faith. Uh, Thank you for calling in.
6: Bye.
1: Um, let's see. This is one of the hop around ones, right? Brent was from the front of the line, so I'm gonna hop around. Um, and do, uh, Fahim, what's on your mind?
13: Good. How are you, Bree?
1: doing well. How are you? I am
13: cooking for the next 10 days.
6: Yeah, basically dishes that's going to last me like 10 days.
1: Oh, he's meal prepping. Well done, <laughs> Fahim. What are you making?
13: So one is a biryani. The other one is a Palestinian dish called moussaka with the eggplants and chickpeas and uh, then, yeah, Yeah. so, yeah, basically in the process of making that stuff, so, but... Nice. uh, Thank you, but either way, I wanted to ask you, uh, what are your thoughts with regards to uh, um, AOC uh, debating uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green? What do you, uh, I'm curious as to what, what do you think?
1: I mean, like, as I said on the episode, I... I feel like I understand, like, if I worked for ASC, if my job was to protect her as, like, a candidate, as a politician, I would say absolutely not. There's, like, absolutely no gain for you there. This isn't, like, sports. Uh, and this is not going to help you raise money. It's not going to help you well, – Oh, it might help you raise money, actually. But it's not going to help your reelection campaign. It's not going to help your credibility in Congress. It's just there's too much potential for downside. I also don't think you're going to prepare in the way that you need to I don't think that me personally, my knowledge of AOC and where she is kind of the mental space she's in right now, I don't really think that she's prepared to enter the conversation with a level of kind of grace, uh, humility, savvy, emotional dexterity that would be required to come out having convinced anybody who likes Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so the only, there's no very little upside and a lot of downside. However, if like I were AOC. And AOC were perhaps in a different kind of mental space than the one she's in now, if it were an AOC from earlier in her career. Um, and depending on the format and the amount of preparation she would have, I think it could be a wonderful thing for the American community outside of AOC's own political advantage, but just for the public, for her to be able to have a conversation with Marjorie Taylor Greene, in which she, she seems like the grown-up. She can seem measured and calm Redirect the conversation persistently to the interests of the American people. Try to figure out what working class issues they can agree on. Constantly bring it back to the people saying, Marjorie Taylor Green, I understand that you care very deeply for the people of East Palestine. Marjorie Taylor Green, I understand that you care very deeply about this working class community in this place or that place. Would you agree to this policy, this regulatory change, et cetera, that is very popular in this community, that would help these people survive? agree and i I saw that you objected to the idea that republicans would cut social security when uh biden brought it up at the state of the union do i have your commitment that we together are going to stand firm with the american people to protect the entitlements that they've been paying into for all of these years you know i think that could be incredible does she do i believe in this moment the aoc is able to do that i'm skeptical do i think it would be great if she could yes
13: Well, now, what did you mean by uh, she is uh, um, uh, not in the uh, correct mental state as in, like, she doesn't know the technicalities of what she's promoting or?
1: No, she's not stupid. I think that. Oh, okay, okay. Stressed and, like, online right now. I have seen her be very graceful in the face of, you know, conflict before. Before. I know that she has the capacity to be that way. I know that she has the capacity to slow her breathing and be the bigger person. But it takes a lot out of a person. It takes a lot out of anybody. And the way that she's been doing media appearances, her kind of impassioned defense of Ilhan Omar, the cues that she's taking from folks these days seem to be leading her in a different kind of rhetorical direction, and one that I do not think is well-suited for a head-to-head with Marjorie Taylor Greene.
13: Compared to uh, Taylor Green's uh, personality, she is more measured in what, uh, uh, how it's going to reflect on her versus like Taylor Green seems to be like even she may be babbling the uh, most insane thing, but of a uh, um, for lack of a better term like a forcefulness uh, about uh, her or no.
1: Wait, I'm sorry,
13: I missed the end there. No, like uh, Taylor Green, it seems uh, like when she, uh, even though she may be uh, saying stuff that may not uh, be totally batshit crazy, but she has more of like, okay, I'm coming to a gunfight, so I, I'm going to come and uh, fight and not worry about what happens uh, later on. Whereas AOC seems, uh, at least it's my impression, uh, yeah. it seems to be uh, that okay. How is it going to reflect later on uh, on me and what's going to happen later on as opposed to Taylor Green seems to be more like, okay, uh, the fight is r- r- right now. I'm uh, coming in b- with uh, my uh, biggest uh, punches. Uh, and also it, it seems like uh, uh, it's two different approaches. Um,
1: I, I don't... I don't know that I, I mean, I feel like you've described something, but I don't know that it means what I'm What I'm supposed to take from it. I don't think that it, That's a. I don't think that cuts any kind of way. I don't think that it makes Marjorie Taylor Greene better or worse, or AOC better or worse, that they happen to take those approaches. I think it depends on what they say and how they engage. Okay. Yours. I don't know.
13: No, I was thinking more from a uh, perspective of, like, when I see uh, For for example, when I saw AOC uh, on uh, Israel-Palestine, she is more uh, like wording it of the who, the what, the why, and and all rather than saying that, okay, this is what I uh, uh, believe in. And with Marjorie
6: Taylor Greene, with her uh, uh, position that she
13: uh, uh, takes. So that's one of the things I also felt like with the AOC. I mean, she can... uh, No, no. I
1: disagree. I think that AOC is forceful on opinions that don't involve uh, bringing the entire uh, military-industrial complex down on your head. It's very easy to be very forceful about how you hate globalists, and uh, want to cancel CRT. Like, that doesn't take bravery. It's, it takes a lot more courage to stand up to the Israel. Green is out here talking about we need to cut aid to Israel and put conditions on aid, and they can't do an open-air prison for Palestinians. Like, I'll laud her for that, too. But AOC is forceful about plenty of things. We saw her forcefully defending Ilhan Omar. We saw her forcefully uh talking about um you know all that crying at the border and stuff she can be given a passion speech too if she wants to but you can't that's comparing apples and oranges it seems to me and marjorie taylor green you know she grandstands about stuff that is important to her okay but that, that doesn't mean that she's right it doesn't mean it necessarily even comes off as especially persuasive and i don't think that aoc would be better in the exchange if she's just started hollering and screaming about stuff either I think you need to seem like the calm, cool, collected person and the adult in the room when you're dealing with someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene and not overstate, not accuse Marjorie Taylor Greene of things that she hasn't said. Don't say Jewish space lasers because that's not actually a quote. Space lasers is, like she said, globalists and a bunch of all of those other keywords that we all know what they mean. But, you know, you have to be very measured in an in a, in a exchange with Marjorie Taylor Greene. You can't give her any open quarter to accuse you of being bad faith, disingenuous, or trying to smear her. And you shouldn't really be talking about her. This isn't about her. It's about whether or not you can manipulate her into making commitments to what she's going to do for the American people. That's how you come across as a credible figure like Bernie Sanders, as opposed to a grandstanding point scoring person like some, so many of the squad members, unfortunately, have started to be characterized as...
13: Okay, well that's it uh, from my uh, and uh, Bree. Thanks for taking the call. Oh, by the way, do you keep in touch with uh, uh, Renix or no?
1: Uh, no, I haven't heard. Oh, much. okay,
13: okay. I was just uh, when she first got her uh, puppy, I ended up sending her a book through uh, Kate on like natural rearing of animals. I always enjoyed uh, listening to heard talking about immigration uh, and also uh, she had uh, really uh, pr- touching stories uh, about it so
1: yeah i'd love to hear from them i think i think they use they pronouns now. i'm not entirely sure uh, but yeah i i think it would be lovely to to, to hear from them and i'll let you know I, I wanted to have them on the podcast ages ago to talk about um what is the left immigration policy what is the i've been trying to do that episode forever but it seems to be such a hot button topic that I truly cannot get anybody booked to discuss it. So hopefully uh, someday soon we can get to that. Thank you for reminding me, Fahim. And thank you for calling in with all of your thoughtful questions. Bye-bye. All right, we're at two hours. Like I said, I have to run and start to prepare for dinner. And you know your girl's got to close her rings. So I appreciate everybody's patience with this earlier episode. And it's also a little bit shorter than usual. But I will see you on Thursday. I think you are going to love thursday's episode it's one of the favorite i've ever recorded it's with one of my heroes i'm so excited Ugh, i can't wait for you to hear from the person that was so formative for me and so much of my politics and and where i am as a political creature today so see you soon take care of yourselves keep the faith
0: I was a lion in the tall grass, wish I had a pilot in a podcast, wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, skags. I wish I had a million dollars, I wish I had a million albums, I wish I had a million problems, that way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp, I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man, yeah. I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in it, these kids are stealing all my pennies Focused on my wealth, you can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help, it's like It's like, I wish, I wish, that every time we dive it, it feels just like this I wish, I wish, that every time we do it, it feels just like this I wish, I wish, that every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels. Like this. I wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings.
6: I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah.